Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. And I want to say a prayer before we get into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to us through this teaching, illuminate our, our understanding, God, so that we better know what you've done. And for this, I give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. The covenant key. Now, if you want to unlock the mysteries and wonder of the Bible, you have to use the covenant key. Covenant is the key that unlocks the doors that lead us into the thrill, awe, and splendor of what God has done for us in Christ. Professor Thomas Schreiner of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary uses another metaphor. He says, covenants are the backbone, the backbone of the biblical story. Covenant serves as the skeletal system then, which holds all the other systems in place. I mean, your Bible is divided into two main parts, the Old and the New Testament, which is interchangeable with the word covenant. They're synonyms. The Old and the New Testament or covenant. So let's lay some foundation. The English word for covenant carries the idea of a binding together, binding together. But it's not that way in the Hebrew. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for covenant, barit, is quite different. While it is about binding together, the, the word literally means to divide or to cut. In antiquity, Covenant partners would uh, determine the terms and conditions of an agreement or of a, a covenant, and they would make promises to fulfill those terms and conditions. And then, as part of the ceremony of making that agreement, they would cut an animal in half, and their significance in this, we'll see this in Genesis 15, 9, and 10, where God said, bring me these five animals, and he said, cut them in two. Actually, three of them were cut in two, and the birds were not cut in two. And this was a dramatic, but a very tangible way of saying, if I fail to live up to what I have promised in this agreement, in this covenant, then let it be done to me as has been done to these animals. It was very dramatic. It, 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 was, it was a kind of a signing on the dotted line, but in a really, really serious way. Do you know what I'm saying? So in the Hebrew, the word denotes an agreement, but connotes a cutting. The idea is you cut covenant. You cut covenant. Now, in your Bible, covenant cutting was serious business. We've already kind of seen an allusion to that. You had to make an investment by sacrificing animals. Well, that's money. That's, that's of your material wealth. So you had to sacrifice that animal. And then failing to live up to your promises obviously had devastating consequences. 
Catholic theologian Scott Hahn has pointed out the difference between a contract and a covenant. This is pretty cool. In a contract, you make an agreement. You sign on the dotted line. But in a covenant, you make promises and swear oaths. Dr. Hahn points out modern contracts are so far beneath ancient covenants that contracts are like prostitution, whereas covenants are like marriage. Contracts are like slavery, whereas covenants are like sonship. It's a powerful difference, but but that's helpful in understanding how important covenants are in the Bible. Covenants are sacred, and they have their origins way back in the twilight of humanity. So let's look at some of those beginnings. Are you with me? Are you with me on this Wednesday night with all this weird stuff? All right. So as we've seen, ancient covenants required the death of an animal. So in your Bible, do you know where the first animal was killed? It was in the Garden of Eden. And do you know who killed the first animal? God put on camouflage and orange, built a tree stand. Not really, but I am in Louisiana. It makes sense, right? He went down to Cabela's, got all kind of stuff. Not really. God killed the first animal. Let's unpack that story. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17 says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. This is the oldest profession in the Bible. Not what you're thinking, but tending the garden, right? He was to tend and keep the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now in the Hebrew, the word for die, it means separation. And that's important. We'll see that later. But but the day that you eat this, there will be a separation that takes place. Because he didn't kill over dead when he ate the fruit, but there was, there was a separation. There was death in that sense of the word. Genesis 3, 6 and 7 says this, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Everybody say coverings. Adam and Eve were naked, exposed, uncovered, and they knew it. Covering is a big deal in the Bible. To be covered means to be in right relationship to the spiritual authority that's over you. Psalm 91, Psalm 91, you're familiar with it. It it talks about being under the shadow of the Almighty. Talk about spiritual authority. The Almighty, to be under the shadow of the Almighty. 
It's the idea of being considered righteous because you are covered by your spiritual authority. So what caused Adam and Eve to move out from under the covering of Almighty God? Well, they disobeyed His Word. He had given His Word. Don't eat of this fruit. And yet they ate of that fruit. And the result was they moved out from under the covering. One can make the case that prior to the fall, they had been covered with the glory of God. You you can dig around. You can make that case. It, it, It seems to me, in my study of this, it seems to me as if God has designed it in such a way, us in such a way, you might say, that we can only be covered with something that comes from another. The glory of God. It was His glory, but it covered them. Now notice when Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, they took the covering from something else to cover them now. In their case, they took the leaves off of a fig tree. And they sewed them together. That's the world's second oldest profession to be a tailor. They, they sewed together fig leaves and they covered themselves and left the fig tree uncovered, which is no big deal for the fig tree because the fig tree will grow more leaves, right? And so when God stepped in and saw their leafy charade going on, we realized quickly, they realized quickly, they had just wasted a lot of time sewing, putting that all together. And before before God does anything else, He starts helping Adam and Eve to understand and admit that in spite of all they had done, they were still uncovered. They were still naked. In other words, they're standing there with multiple fig leaves sewn together. And God says, in essence, I don't see any covering on you. I don't recognize this stuff that you've put on. This is not helping you at all. You're still separated, lost in your sin, and undone. You've put together these fig leaves, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's, I, it, I, see, I see you in your sin and in your shame. What they were wearing was a type of man-made religion. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Isn't this exciting? So, so it's like man-made religion. They were trying to cover their sin. And I might add, and you can edit this out, I can't move around. I can't walk over here, okay? I just did. But I really can't because i got to stay here, which frustrates me. I like to move around. I like to get out there, you know? But so here we see that it's a type of man-made religion. They were trying to cover their sin and shame. And, and, and we're going to see this again and again and again during Noah's time with Nimrod at Babel. And until this very day, we're always trying to cover our own sin with our own works and our own religion. And, and, and when I say that it's a type of man-made religion, sometimes I think we have a very shallow understanding of that. You know, don't do this, do this. And we see that as kind of the end-all, be-all of man-made religion. But, but it's really bigger and deeper. This is an epic story. What they were wearing had come from something, those fig leaves, it came from something. They came from something that had no blood. 
It may have been good. I mean, you can do a lot with fig leaves. Obviously, you can sew a dress or some britches, right? Some trousers, as my father calls them. You, you can put together an outfit out of fig leaves. You might, maybe you can eat fig leaves. I have a fig tree in my backyard. Maybe I should have brought some fig leaves, which would have made Valerie mad because I would have left the fig tree uncovered. But, but, you know, maybe you can eat the fig leaves, fan with the fig leaves, uh, make, uh, you know, a blanket, a quilt with the fig leaves. You can do a lot of good things with fig leaves, but I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't cover sin. It's not a remedy in God's eyes for sin. So, so here they were in their fig newtons. Trying to feel like at least they had done something. And none of what they had manufactured mattered. Not one iota. And God is trying to help them realize that. Isaiah 64, 4-6, listen to this. For since the beginning of the world. Wait a second. Where are we right now in, in this story in Genesis? Genesis, the beginning of the world. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue And we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are like what? Filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Those leaves in Genesis didn't do one thing for Adam and Eve in the sight of God. And I'll tell you right now, those leaves won't do anything for you and me either. It's only by the blood of the Lamb that we have anything, any kind of hope in this world or the world to come. Amen? In Genesis 3.10, God gets them to admit as such. Adam said in Genesis 3.10, I heard your voice In the garden, I love this. I heard your voice in the garden. This is after the fall, after the sin, the fig leaves. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and was afraid. That's amazing to me. You know why? Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But here, fear came. The voice of God speaks and Adam says it. I was afraid. Why? Because I was uncovered. And I hid myself. So deep down, Adam knew he was uncovered. Listen to what I'm saying. Self-righteousness is powerful. It's deceptive. Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing awesome. I've done this and I've done that. I've given to the poor. I've gone on mission trips. I live a righteous life. 
Self-righteousness is deceptive and it's very powerful. But when you hear the voice of God call you out individually, that voice that God knows how to penetrate that shell of self-righteousness and say, hey, you're not covered. I know where you are and you know I know where you are. You hear what I'm saying? That's the moment that Adam was having in the garden. This was an altar call. This is the world's first altar call. It's like God was saying, I know where you are. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And the angel Gabriel goes to the organ and starts playing. Just as I am without one plea. It's the world's first altar call. He's calling him out. Hey, I know who you are. And then in verses 13 and 14, Adam blames Eve. You know, typical husband. It's her fault. It's that girl, you know. If it wasn't for that girl. And then in verse 14, he blames the snake. That snake deceived me, which is true. And then notice what God did next in verse 15. This is important, the the order of what's going down here. In verse 15, the Lord promised the ultimate defeat of the serpent. And the ultimate victory of the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman is Jesus the Christ. The theologians call this, it's a a $3 word, but the proto-evangelium. This is the first mention of the gospel in your Bible. It's when the Lord said, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. He will crush your head. God was not only prophesying the future. He was promising. You hear what I'm saying? He was swearing. This will happen. It is inevitable. The head of the serpent will be crushed. The enemy will be defeated. So, again, the order He declares this promise up front. And then in verse 16, he told Eve the consequences that she would face because of the fall. You're going to hurt when you have kids. Can I get an amen? In verses 17 and 19, he, he told Adam the consequences that he would face because of the fall. That earth's not going to cooperate with you anymore, son. You're going to have to sweat to make ends meet. And then, after the promise had been made, in verse 21, we get this remarkable insight. Verse 21, Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So, what does that mean? That means that after he made promises, he shed innocent blood. He shed innocent blood. It's such a portrait of covenant. He's saying, I will fix this. I promise I will fix this. 
and then he shed the blood of an innocent animal. And we're going to get into this in more depth when we look at the Abrahamic covenant and some verses over in Hebrews 6. Now, unlike the fig tree for this poor animal, it was over, over, right? Fig tree loses leaves, grows new ones. Uh, animal loses skin and is gone forever. So God skins this animal with its fur, which was a natural covering for this creature. The blood is shed. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life is in the blood and the animal is gone. And then God covers Adam and Eve in somebody else's covering. This animal's covering. Somebody else that was innocent whose blood was shed for somebody who was guilty. The innocent, the innocent animal was the sacrifice required to restore righteousness for the guilty and, and to bring the guilty back under the covering of spiritual authority. That which had been lost now was found. How? By way of covenant. Are you with me? Now, now th- this, is, this is crucial. God covered them in the skins of the sacrifice. And I've told you before, I believe this is just, it's more gory than, than we tend to make it. We tend to make it like you went down to the Western store, picked up some leather goods, and they, they, they put on these leather outfits. But honestly, in my opinion, because of the, the epic proportion of the fall, I I don't think it was that way. I I think he did not tan these skins, these hides. I think he put bloody skins on them both to to really make a tactile, a tangible uh, just expression of how brutal the fall was and how brutal the solution would be. And, And so he puts these skins on them. God kills the animal puts the skins on Adam and Eve. And another thing that this paints for us is it's them getting in and becoming uh, the body of that sacrifice, being covered by, getting in, becoming the body of that sacrifice, which which points uh, to Christ, where, where we are to be covered by the blood of Christ and and we're to be in Christ, and we're to put on Christ, and become the body of Christ, be one with Christ, and reconciled to God in Christ. We'll deal with that later. The idea of being in Christ is, is a covenant concept. We'll look at that. So, so covenant is cut in the garden, and, and God initiates it, but it becomes part and parcel of the way humans interact with God and also how they interact in their other relationships, their relationships with each other. So the covenant becomes part of the lexicon, the vocabulary of the human race, part of the way humans conduct business, relationships, and it all started with that first family and then was passed on. We know it was passed on because we see it in in the sons, two in particular of Adam and Eve. 
Adam taught his boys the idea of building altars and offering blood sacrifices and calling on the name of the Lord. Abel did that, and Cain did that too with a caveat. Abel fully did it the way God ordered it, but Cain did it and put his own spin on that. How so? Well, Abel offered blood sacrifice, and Cain offered non-blood sacrifice. You remember the story? Hadn't Cain heard of the fig leaves, for crying out loud? And yet here he is offering non-blood vegetables, you know, tomatoes and okra, corn, peas, you know. He's offering the fruit of the ground. Maybe offered some pomegranates, you know, some limes and lemons. Some oranges, tangerines. Oh, I'm trying to think of some of those Louisiana things, but I'm, I'm forgetting them. So he offers up this stuff on the, on the altar that had no blood in it. In Genesis 4-7, God confronted Cain and gave him an opportunity to approach God the right way, to get his covering back. Cain chose not to. He became jealous of Abel, and you know the story, he eventually murdered He murdered his brother. He murdered Abel. Now, I want to point something out that's powerful in looking at the power of covenant. In Matthew 23, 35, Jesus Christ said that Abel's blood that was spilled by Cain, Abel's blood was righteous blood. Abel was a righteous man. How was he righteous? Because he was born after the fall. These kids were not born with halos, just like your kids aren't born with halos. I mean, right? Your kids were not born with halos. I know mine weren't born with halos. It didn't take very long at all. And you start seeing little horns come out of their hair. What is that? Oh, my goodness. This kid's got an attitude. This kid's got a temper. Any of the parents know what I'm talking about out here, right? You realize it soon enough. Now, my grandkids, I've not seen any horns yet. They're practically perfect. I'm sure halos will emerge any day. But if you talk to their parents, yeah, might be a different story. Well, well, Abel was born just like your kids were born. He was a wreck. He was a mess. He was fallen. But Jesus said his blood was righteous. How was his blood righteous? How was he a righteous man? Oh, it was through his faith in the blood of the innocent lamb that was slain that covered him. He had a covering over his life. And and literally, church, that was pointing to Christ. They were looking thousands of years ahead and putting their faith in the blood of that lamb, which was really a substitute pointing the way to the blood of Jesus Christ that would be on the cross Thousands of years later, it's no different with us today. We look back at the finished work that's already been done, but our faith is in that blood that was shed all those years ago. Amen? God is outside of time and space, and and, and so it was an efficacious sacrifice even back then, but there was a means and a mechanism and a system, and it was called the grace-faith system. I will extend to you grace. You put your faith and your trust in me, and I will cover you. And it's not because of what you're doing. 
It's because of what I will do. In our case, what he has already done. And in the mind of God, all those years ago, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. It was already done back then. That's why he could say with certainty in the garden at the fall, I will crush your head. It will happen. The seed of the the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Are you with me? So from Adam to Christ, everyone who put their faith in the blood of the lamb, they were looking forward to the cross. And from Christ until now, we're looking back. We're putting our faith in the blood of the cross. Now, as we move further, let's define covenant. Let's get specific with some of this. Covenant is the exchange of strengths because of weaknesses. It is the exchange of strengths because of weaknesses. My favorite story to tell to illustrate this is the story of the two tribes. One is a farming tribe. One is a fighting tribe. The farmers know how to farm. They know how to get the food out of the ground. They know how to get the milk out of the cows. They know how to get the T-bones and the filet mignons and the lamb chops. The fighters, they know how to fight. They can take on any enemy. They're skilled. They know how to make weapons. They're experts at warfare. But they don't know how to farm, and the farmers don't know how to fight. So the farmers have a weakness, and the fighters have a weakness. So what's the solution? They need to make a covenant with each other. In other words, they will meld into one new tribe that didn't exist before, one new creation that didn't exist before. There were farmers and fighters separately. Now there is, well, it's the double F farm, right? It's the double F barracks for the warfare. It's the fighters and the farmers. The farmers and the fighters, they're now one. And so the covenant was made because of weaknesses and it is an exchange of strengths. So now when the fighters are hungry, they go to the farmers and they say, give me some food. What you want? I want a filet. We got you covered. When the enemy comes in and attacks the farm, the farmers say, hey, we need you. What you need? You got to fight those enemies Not a problem. They get their chariots, their horses, they get their spears together, and they go out and fight. And together, they're stronger than they could have been because of covenant. You and I have a strength that we wouldn't have otherwise unless God had initiated covenant relationship with us. We had weaknesses, y'all. There were things we could not do, but now I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Why? I have a covenant with God. He is my strength. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. How is that possible? I have tasted and seen the Lord is good. I am in a covenant relationship with Almighty God. Ain't no devil in hell that can come against me because my warrior is on the inside. He empowers. He strengthens me. He he allows me to pray in the spirit. Powerful prayers. I couldn't pray otherwise. Why is that? I'm in a covenant relationship with God. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when we say the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the word holy, it's speaking of covenant. It is not like I dress a certain way, I behave real piously. No. Holy 
is only used in terms of relationship. Specifically, it started with covenant relationship with God. Now, we have other relationships that are sanctified or holy. The, the relationship of holy matrimony. Where two people, because of weaknesses, exchange strengths and become one. It's powerful. But that's, that's all a picture of this great covenant that we have. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the eternal, almighty, living God. And he has set himself apart for the good of those who are in a covenant relationship with him through the blood of the Lamb. How powerful is that, y'all? The Holy Spirit. We, we have all kind of all kinds of ways of describing the Holy Spirit and talking about the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you something. When you get what I'm talking about in, in your thinking, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God set apart for my good. Not because I'm selfish. I'm trying to live out and fulfill His purpose and will for my life. The destiny that He's placed on my life. But I don't have to do that in my own strength, in my own flesh, because I got the Holy Spirit on the inside of me that is strengthening me and empowering me to be everything He's called me to be and do everything He's called me to do. That's powerful. You hear what I'm saying? That is powerful right there. Now, there are several major covenants mentioned in the Bible the Edenic covenant, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the New covenant. And there are variations of these, and some describe them a little differently. Some add a few, take away some. But, but, but these are the major covenants in the Bible. There are other covenants in the Bible. Man to man, in the next session, we're going to look at one of those in particular, the, the covenant between David and Jonathan, which is such a powerful picture of Christ and the church. The marriage covenant, I've already mentioned it, husband to wife. National covenants, nation to nation, treaties, and there are others. But the covenants of man were based on the covenants of God. And something we have to realize is that our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. The Bible says that. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations. That's, that, that, that's a, a figure of speech. Forever. And those who love Him and keep His commandments. He's faithful. He keeps covenant. He keeps covenant. I'm going to tell you something, y'all. You and I, we may struggle with keeping covenant. A lot of marriages don't stay together. A a, a lot of contracts, I've already contrasted covenant and contract, but a lot of what we deem as covenant relationships that are contracts, they're broken every day. But we serve a God, y'all, who does not break covenants. Our God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. 
We serve a God who is faithful to keep his word. He is faithful to the covenants that he initiates, to the covenants that he makes. His word is sure. You can take it to the bank. You may struggle with my word. I may struggle with your word. You may hear a politician promise this and promise that and come through on none of it. Your best friend may promise you things that they can never come through on. But I'm telling you, if God makes a promise, you hear what I'm saying, it will come to pass. He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. So we'll dive into this even more. We're going to look at that covenant between David and Jonathan. We're going to look at that Abrahamic covenant that was so powerful. The idea in Genesis 15 that God would make this covenant with Abraham and and promise him extraordinary things. And, and, And Abraham would be able to sink his teeth into what God was saying and walk in an authority and a confidence because he knew, I'm in a covenant with God. We're going to see what friendship means in the Bible. Friendship is not buddy. We tend to think that that God, if he's my friend, he's like my buddy, right? I'm going to say, hey, what do you think about the Pelicans, you know, getting that draft? Come on now, right? And and, and my buddy God high-fives me. Yeah, that's awesome. Go Zion. Ironic, right? <laughs> no, he's he's... When we say he's a friend, it doesn't mean a buddy. It means a covenant partner. When Abraham was called the friend of God, it wasn't like they were high-fiving and chummy. It was that God was saying to Abraham, your enemies are my enemies. I'll bless those that bless you. And Abraham, you hear me, I'll curse those that curse you. They'll come against you one way. They'll flee before you seven ways. Uh, one will put a thousand to flight, but you and me, we'll put ten thousand to flight. Who can stand before you when I am on your side? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the power of covenant. Isn't that exciting? It's exciting. We have confidence in this relationship that we have, y'all. Here at LifePoint, we're just not trying to make a cool church that's based on props and music and theatrics and a building and a piece of property. Folks, we're in an ancient flow that goes back to before the foundation of the world. This is an eternal thing that works here in America, here in the Bible Belt, down in the deep-fried, dirty south, or out in the Serengeti, or over in Nova Scotia, up there in, in, in the frozen tundra, or, or out in, in Europe, or out in Siberia, or down in South America, or the poles. It works anywhere. I'm telling you something. If you're in a space station around the earth or on the moon, what we're talking about, God is faithful. This is an ancient flow. And LifePoint is built on the Word. Everybody say the Word. Because that's what's going to keep you. It's the word. You've got to dive deep into the word. And that's what LifePoint University is all about. It's, it's building tracks to help people advance on their journey into the word. Because when we get into the word, sometimes it's confusing. You go get your study Bible. You open the book of Leviticus and start reading and your eyes cross, glaze over, 
you fall out, you're slobbering. You're like, what does it even mean? Well, LifePoint University is to help you understand what it means. Because the entire Bible, and I'm closing, stand with me right now. It'll help me. Just don't stand in front of the camera. But the, the entire Bible is a Jesus book. Every story is somehow advancing the story of Jesus. It's telling the, the story of the Savior. And we see that from the very beginning. And so we're going to dive into covenant. And God's going to help some people. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your word. God, you've extended remarkable grace towards us. And at the same time, you've extended remarkable responsibility upon us. What will you do with my grace? Will you trust me? Will you believe me? Will you lean into me? Will you put down the fig leaves and take a hold of the altar and the blood of the Lamb? Will you trust me to be the one who empowers you and strengthens you? Will you submit to my word? Will you humble yourself and let me cover you? in the way that I have foreordained from before the foundation of the world. Will you allow me to be your covering, to be the spiritual source of your life? Or will you try to handle it on your own? Father, we just, we yield and we submit. We trust you with our lives and with our all. In Jesus' name. Listen, here's... Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.